Alright, so this is our first podcast, and uh, we're going to tell the story of uh, a 330 America uh, that I found in California. It started out in 2002. Um, the owner of this car had contacted me through my website, tomyan.net, and uh, was had a lot of questions about whether or not he could fix the engine in his car. He had owned the car for many years, and uh, Ed was wondering whether or not, why is it that, that an engine rebuild was going to cost him close to 20000 or maybe 15000 at that point, but he really didn't feel that he was up to doing that kind of work on the car, and he had, had a lot of questions about uh, you know, how to maintain his car, how to keep the car on the road. It sounded like it was a pretty original car, and, and he was the second owner of this car, but for a long time, he's, he's, he owned the car, and he just really didn't want to, he wasn't ready to, to do a full-blown restoration or a full-blown engine rebuild, and, but he's just trying to hold on to the car. So through the through a year's time, we talked about it, and, and um, he went from thinking about fixing the car to the realization that he might not ever fix the car, and that maybe he should just sell the car. Um, fast forward to August of 2003, and I get a phone call from Michael Greenspan, who's here, and he's going to tell me the day that he finally decided to just give me a phone call. Michael? Uh, okay. Um, let me go back a little bit. Uh, it was just before my 60th birthday, and um, unbeknownst to me, our son had uh, told my wife that he said, we should do something really special for Pop's birthday. And she said, yeah, that's a good idea. She said, well, what do you have in mind? And he said, I think we should buy Pop a Ferrari. And so my wife thought he was out of his mind. And she said, well, you know, are you serious? And he said, yeah. And he told her what he thought it was going to cost. And he was looking on eBay, but he didn't feel he knew anything about Ferrari. So he called my friend Peter, who led him to a guy who was very knowledgeable, who said, I sell Ferraris, but I'm not going to help you that way. If you want a Ferrari, come up and see me. Um, and so he did. He went up to see him. And um, in the end, he started to seriously look for Ferrari. Unbeknownst to me, this is going on, and I'm in France, and I'm sitting having lunch with someone who has restored a Ferrari, and he's just about, the restoration's just about finished. And I said to him, you know, I always wanted a, I thought a 330 2 plus 2. And he said, oh, they're not very expensive. And I said, I know. And he looked at me, and I looked at him, and we smiled at each other, and I said, half and half? And he said, yes. And so we shook hands, and we were going to go half and half. This is July of 63. Uh, and... Two, 2003. Two, 2003, right. Um, and I very snidely call back to New York to tell our son that I've just done this. And my wife is rather, you know, she's rather strange at lunch, and she says to the guy... You're undermining everything that they were... Yeah, I, she <laughs> says, I have, to, I have to see you. And I figure, okay, she's going to say to the guy something about, I'm going to pay for it or whatever. Um, and, but I don't know what's going on. We get back to the apartment, and um, I get a call from 
our son. And my wife talks to him for a while, and she says, I think you have to talk to our son Joshua. I said, sure. And that's when I find out that, in fact, he has been looking for a Ferrari for a couple of months. Um, so clearly, I was not going to rain on their parade. And, and I said, okay. I called the other guy, and I said, look, I can't do this. We went out to lunch, and I said, you know, I can't do this. I can't. I, it's too big a deal that my son is trying to do this they for my birthday. They want to do it. Got right. to let them do it. All right. So when I come home, we start looking together, because now I know it's happening. And we go see this dealer, and um, he's got a lot of great cars, but he doesn't have what I want. He's trying to talk me into other things, and I keep telling him I want a 2 plus 2. And we see a 250 GTE, and Joshua says to me, isn't that really what you want? And I said, yeah, actually, that is what I want. Um, and I start to get disillusioned after a couple of weeks of dealing with the guy. At some point, he tries to sell me a Testarossa. <laughs> you know, which is not quite the same. Right. And so um, I go on the web and I find your site. Right. And I email you and I say, I don't know anything about this and I'm involved in trying to buy one and would you like to talk to me? And so Friday night you called and um, I called you back after we came home from dinner and I thought I think we spoke for two hours on yeah, the phone. Yeah, it was, it was a long really, time. Yeah, long it, was, time. It, was a, it was a weird time because this was the week before I was going out to Monterey, Monterey. so... Um, and, I, and I think I met you for dinner. I know I met you for dinner. I met you for dinner yeah. at the Dachiro's in New York. Yeah, yeah. And, and we talked about it, and you said, well, I'm going out to Monterey, and who knows, I might be right. able to find something. And what, what happens is, you know, I get, you know, emails and, and, uh, and, and people asking questions about these cars, so... You know, I, I have two sides, is, is that I want to help everybody. If anybody wants to buy a car, I'd love to, you know, get them into it. But at the same time, there are a lot of people who want to buy cars, so you got to figure out, well, who's really going to do it? I mean, if, you know, right. if, you're gonna ready, if you're ready to pull a trigger on a car, and I, and I just so happen to have one, I can't call five people and have, oh, well, actually, you know, I'm into boats now, or actually, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't really want to do So it takes a little bit of screening to, to figure out who's who's really ready to do it and at the same time it was really kind of weird because it was like michael calls me the week before i'm, I'm going to monterey i'm talking to ed garbett who has this original 330 america it was it needed a lot of work but yet you know you don't get original cars all the time you don't get cars that you know a guy has owned for for 35 years and and um, basically unmolested but yet the problem with these cars that have been you know, that, that are slowly getting older and older and having a lot of needs is that they get cut up. They, the engines are worth more money, in, in, uh, or at least they used to be perhaps, is that the engines are worth more in, in, uh, as a spare engine for a short wheelbase or a spare engine for a, for a race car. And, and so they'll take the 2 plus 2 cars, which is the ones that we're talking about, and, and they chop them up. And, and what I was really afraid of with Ed's car was his car was right on that bubble. If, if, if the right person came along with the same amount of money and said, I'll buy this car, Ed could, you know, unbeknownst to Ed, will sell it to them, and next thing you know, the car is chopped up and disappears. Disappears. Off, you know, from, from ever being a, a car, a complete car again. And the, one of the reasons why I wanted to see Ed was I said, if, if there's anything that I can do to save this car, I, I need to meet him and I need to see the car and I need to see if he's really that serious about selling it. And when Michael called me, 
And we spent that two hours on the phone that night. It was really just to see, you know, he told me the story. He told the abbreviated story of what, how he got to this point of phone call. And I basically started thinking, well, maybe, maybe this is right. And, and, you know, I said to Michael later on, it was, it was just, it was serendipity. It was just everything was falling, the cards were falling in place, and, and it just felt right. And, and so I, I kind of said, well, I, and I, I was a little, you know, reserved about it. I said, I might have something, but I'll know more in a couple weeks, and, and, and uh, let me go to California, and I'll talk to you when I get back. And I get out to California. I meet Ed and his wife. They're in Sherman Oaks. Is that where they were? Um, actually, it's Redwood City. Redwood City. That's where it was. And and um, and uh, when I went out there, it was a really nice afternoon. I took the Saturday of the Modern Modern Array weekend, as opposed to hanging out at the track, and shot out to uh, you know a couple hour drive north, and and uh, spent the the afternoon or practically the whole day with them. And uh, you know, just really, it, it was more. It was more of a friendly visit than it was kind of like walking in to buy a car. Right. But uh, at the at the end of our visit, you know, Ed said, "Yeah, I, I think I'm ready to sell the car." He had a couple stipulations that that were involved, um, which you know, <laughs> Ed Ed uh, you know was interested in selling the car, but he was concerned about uh, you know the taxes on it. He was concerned about all sorts of stuff. And I said, "You know what? We'll we'll figure those things out. But if you're ready to do it, you know." We'll, we'll figure it out. And, and uh, so I came back, took pictures, and, and called up Michael and says, you know, I think I, think I have a car. And uh, he sent me the pictures, and uh, we were sitting in a house in Connecticut. Uh, it was, a, I think, a Saturday night. And the pictures came, and I opened the first one, and my wife was looking over my shoulder, and she said, Michael, that's your car. That's it. And so... We made arrangements. I talked to Ed, and we made arrangements for the way he wanted to do the deal, and that's fine. And um, I buy tickets so that Joshua and I can fly out to see the car, because I'm not going to buy the car just because Thomas told me it's a great car, right. except that it does need a, a whole engine job, right. and except that there are some other things, you know, the paint is so-and-so. Uh, California sun baking on the paint. Um, and so Joshua and I, I pick him up at 6 in the morning from his uh, where he works at a nightclub. And we take JetBlue. We come to Oakland. And we go from the Oakland airport. We go into San Francisco to go to the bank to pick up the money. And I feel like a drug dealer carrying this money. And it's not such a huge amount of money, but it's just weird to carry the cash. And we drive to Ed, and the car is sitting waiting for us. And we chat for a while, and then we go out for a ride. And the most amazing thing I can remember about that ride, we go to Half Moon Bay, which I had never been to, even though I lived in, actually in Palo Alto for a year and a half going to school. And I'd never been to Half Moon Bay. And we drive to Half Moon Bay, and Ed is telling me, Come on, step on it, step on it. Come on, put your foot into it. You know, and I'm thinking, this is not my car. I don't want to do that. Um, and the car is really quite strong. And I think you had said to me, it smokes. Yeah. When I when I took it out, the, when I saw him when I was at Monterey, and that weekend at Monterey, I took it, and we went for a, a short drive around. And as the car warmed up, I did notice a little bit of smoke. I mean, it, it, especially on hard acceleration, if you look behind you, you'll see a little, a little puff of smoke. And, 
And uh, you know, it's 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 what Ferrari engines tend to do as they get older. They have the valve guide issue that that tends to uh, wear. And uh, you know, I hate to say it, but you know, old Ferrari V12s they're only really good for about 50,000 miles before before they start showing those signs of smoke. Um, once you use the modern materials, they 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 last a lot longer. But that's basically where Ed was. I've had how many miles were on that car? I forget. 6065, right. and Ed actually couldn't drive it because California has some very strong uh, anti, yeah. you know, They'll pollution pull you over laws. Any little bit and of smoke. They'll pull you over for smoke, and so every time he took the car out, he was he was getting a ticket. So he wasn't taking the car out. Right. I don't think he put a thousand miles in the car in two years. And it's a shame. I mean, these cars, uh, you know, they they get to a point in which they really start to deteriorate rapidly just simply because they're just not driven and and things just the seals dry up the brakes seize and then all of a sudden you can't drive it and and then it just then the rest of it gets even worse and 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 that's where we were at with this car and, and uh it really got scary and the other thing and to, on a side note with it being a 330 america i mean how many 330 americas are still out there and you know fairly original and you know Two owner cars, just you, you just don't get it. I mean, a lot of people look at three, you know, two plus two cars, two plus two Ferraris as, as oh, you know, they're they're not always worth as much as the, the two seaters. But yet, you know, as the market starts to go up, you know, it's still a V12 Ferrari and it's still a vintage Ferrari. And the rarity of a 330 America was really something special. And again, that was another motivating factor to keep it from disappearing. So. Let me just tell you Ed's story about buying the car because it's really a great story. Yeah, it uh, actually is pretty um, Ed, Ed is an engineer, and one day in 1967, he's uh, reading the paper, and it says that there's a bankruptcy sale at Rizagi Motors in San Francisco. And Rizagi is the Ferrari dealer in San Francisco. So Ed gets himself up there. And there are a couple of cars on the floor. I think there were maybe, I know definitely two, might be that there was one more. Um, according to Ed, there was a Lusso, and there was this brown 330 America. And uh, he looks at the Lusso, and there's all kinds of wires hanging from under the dashboard. And he thinks to himself, God, I don't want to get involved in this. So he, he basically says, no, I'm not interested in the Lusso. And he, the guy gives him the keys, and he takes the 330 America out for a drive. And the guy says to me, you have to bring it back because I've got another person coming to see it tomorrow. And Ed brings it back. And when he brings it back, he says, I really love the car. And the guy said, look, would you like to take it for the weekend? And Ed thinks, sure, I want to take the car for the weekend. So he takes the car. And by Sunday, he knows that there's no way he's going to get this car back. He's got to have the car. So he goes in and he makes a bid on the car. And the guy says, I'm sorry. You know, the guy gave me the other guy gave me a higher price, and I'm going to have to sell it to him. The guy is the bank guy, and he doesn't really care anything at all other than I've got to recover my money because Rizagi is in deep. Uh, Rizagi had died, and, and, the, and the company just immediately fell apart. So Ed says to him, uh, "Well, uh, what kind of price will make it?" And the guy says, "Well." You know, you gave me this price, I got this price from the other guy, Ed offers him 50 bucks more than the other guy's price. The banker looks at him and says, the car is yours. <laughs> and so Ed drives out of there with this Ferrari and has it for, and takes, I think he takes the best care he could possibly take of the car. Um, but certainly it was, even in 1967, not a cheap car to keep up. Right. 
and if anything major goes wrong, and he had some problems with the uh, overdrive, and it, he had it rebuilt, I think, two or three times. Right. Um, it just gets to be a heavy burden. So. Well, and also, you know, being an engineer, I mean, most there are a lot of engineers that own Ferraris, and they're always tinkerers. And, yeah. and that's that's a real common thread in, in a lot of these guys who, who own these cars, these two plus two cars, is that they love to, you know, they they, they buy them because of the because of the engines, because of the mechanicals, on, right. and the mechanics on these on these cars, and. Ed did fairly well. I mean, he was oh, a big gearhead. I mean, he also was, you know, into into uh, British cars. He was, he was uh, you know, did tours and things like that. He's a roost blower MG. Yeah, you know, so he's he's always been into into cars, and I think having that Ferrari was uh, was just it was a great thing for him. Very special, you know. And then you had to tell the story of, of the day that you went to buy the car and what he said to his wife. Yeah, so, so we we come which out. killed me. I hate to be part of this. I drive I drive there. And um, I just felt, you know, my first car was a 57 Thunderbird. And so we get to the airport, and there's a brand new Thunderbird sitting out there. And I said to Joshua, well, I think we got a Dodge Dart, but no, we're going we're gonna to rent the Thunderbird. And it's a, a kind of gray, rainy day in Oakland. And he says to me, well, we got to drive with the top down. So we, we take off. And, of course, as always in San Francisco, it's gray. And then you leave San Francisco down. The, uh, down towards Palo Alto and things get to be really beautiful. It was a really beautiful afternoon. So we take the car, we drive, we pick up Ed's car. It never smoked. It did not have a wisp. At some point, I'm looking through the rearview mirror, which is old and it's kind of fogged out. And I'm thinking, well, that must be the smoke. And I say to Joshua, look behind and tell me whether it's smoking or not. And it's not smoking. So I can't figure this out because Thomas told me it smokes, but I don't care. I just, you know, say, okay, this, this is the car, and we go back into the house to consummate the deal. And I, I get my little, uh, actually, I, I had the money inside my computer bag, and uh, I put the money down, and it's, you know, it's cash. And <laughs> at some point, Ed's wife was really nice, says to me, are they all in, in serial number sequence? I said, you know, I have no idea. But after I leave, you guys can lay them out on the table like a jigsaw puzzle and figure it out. And so Ed says, okay, and he gets the California you know, transfer, and he signs it, and his wife signs it because they co-own the car. And he looks at her and says, well, dear, we're just common folk. We don't own a Ferrari anymore. And, you know... It, it's Tom said when he heard it he was sorry he was part of it I think that moment was just I, I felt so bad uh, I really uh, felt it, bad it was like one of these things where you know you really wanted to keep the car yeah, yeah. and, and I didn't put, want and, it, and again it's like you're trying to figure out where do you fit in this whole thing you know it's like you're trying to help save a car you're trying to help you know Michael get what he wants because this is this is and, he, and Michael you know, and you know, as as the story goes on about this car, really is a great caretaker for this car, just like Ed's been a great caretaker for this car, and really that's all we are. But yet, you know, the, the ownership of this car or these cars, you know, embodies something on, on a different level to, to many people. And and, and to Ed, it, it, that that kind of summed it all up. Is, is that that the Ferrari made him. A different person, and, and as, as crazy as that sounds, and as silly as that sounds to some people, um, 
I, I kind of understood that, and and and, and it just to, to, to kind of like take that away from him. It was just like, what what am I doing? You know, what are we doing? Take the car back. I would take my money. You know, so, you know. So, like, so I, I take off. And I, I, Josh was Josh was kind of incredulous. You know, I mean, he, he, he's watching this whole thing go on, and I, I say Ed. It's one of the reasons that I really wanted to have Joshua with me because I knew that you do it something that is special to the guy. And I said to him, look. You've owned this since 1967. You've owned it for whatever, 35 years or so. Okay. Yeah, sorry, sorry about the cell phone interruption. No problem. But, um, I said, Dad, you know, you've had this car for 30 plus years. This, it's highly unlikely since I'm going to be 60 that I will have this car and enjoy it for 30 years. If I'm lucky, you know, 20 years. Uh, but now Ed was Ed at that time that you bought it was in his I wasn't sure but he I was in his, his mid 70s, 70s to late 70s, 70s. So he's probably 15 20 years ahead of you yeah, yeah I think so um, and I said to him but I want you to know that you're looking at the the owner the new owner of the car and the next owner of the car yeah. because right our, our son is definitely a collector at heart and. You know, this is something that he was very much a part of, and, and I, you know, I hope that it stays in the family. So, um, yeah, I mean, you're basically reassuring him that, that the cars will be taken care yeah, of. Yeah, you can, not, it's not. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to own it for three weeks. Discover I hate it. Goodbye. So, um, I make arrangements for it to come east, and um, my friend Peter gets me hooked up with Intercity Transport. And I said to them, I really, really, really would like the car for October 17th weekend. I, I, I know it has to be uh, redone, and, and Tom had introduced me to Francois, and that was another part of buying the car that, since I really felt I knew nothing, after meeting Francois, I said to him, look, if you are not interested in taking care of this car, then I don't know that I can buy it because I know it's a big job. And he said, no, no. In Francois' way, no, no, Monsieur, I will take care of the car. So I said, okay, fine. Um, so I knew that Francois was going to get the car, and I just wanted it for the weekend. I just wanted one weekend, and then he could have the car for however many months. I mean, that was the day. thing is that when when uh, we were when Michael was going through the process of buying the car, I, I explained to him, I said, look, you know, this is not going to be a done car. This is going to be a car that you know you're going to buy. And it probably and is going to have to go immediately in for an engine rebuild. I mean, it's it, you know again, as much as it didn't smoke when when he drove it, I knew that it wasn't uh, you know it, it had needs. And, and so we were going into this whole thing eyes wide open. Yeah. You know. And, and uh, but the thing is, it would have been nice to get get Michael to one weekend. All right. I wanted was one weekend. So the car comes and um, it, it's going to come up to Francois. So he has, uh, because of his long driveway, you can't get big trailers in there. So we, we agree to meet in a place, uh, and Francois comes to meet us, and the truck shows up, and the guy gets out of the truck, and he says, you know it smokes. And I said, yeah, 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 I know it smokes. And he said, no, it really smokes. And I went, okay, it really smokes. And I don't believe him. Right. Um, he starts the car up, and the car is like blue house on fire, just just billowing. Killing mosquitoes. Yeah, billowing smoke. And it's so, so bad that I took it. Francois has uh, uh, some garage space nearby, and I took it 
less than a quarter mile, and it was just, I felt like I was polluting the world driving this car. Um, so uh, clearly I was not going to drive in for the weekend, and it was a disappointment. But then the guy says, said to us, you know, I really felt bad taking the car from this guy. <laughs> and Ed was like, he said, like tears. Thank God none of us were there for yeah, that. Oh, you know. I can't imagine. Uh, and then Francois took the car and uh, started to work on it. And, well, it had a lot of other issues, you know. Uh, it, it, it needed, uh, well, we did the engine. And then it had some problems with it. It had a cracked uh, spring leaf, which we did a repair on. Um, it had the normal stuff of uh, the brake lines uh, were in need of replacement. And, um, so fast forward, four, so we're four years ahead. We're four years ahead, right. And um, Michael's done you know, quite a bit of work on this car. Um, he's had just short of painting it. I mean, he's done the engine, he's done the, he's done the interior. He's done, uh, you know, brakes, suspension, you know, all the things that, 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 that mechanically, it's it's a great running and driving car. Um, he stayed in touch with Ed. He's, he sent pictures and, and kept them up to date about all the stuff. It was funny, at one point, I think, during the leaf spring issue, or I forget which one it was, that you had told Ed, you know, and now I'm doing this and it's costing me this. Not to make Ed feel bad about it, but no, actually, Michael I, actually, had easily spent surpassed the oh, purchase price I, of, I, I, of, of I, his car. And Ed, as I remember him saying at one point, did he say to you that well, he, he said, uh, you know, I feel like I should give you a partial refund or something yeah, like that. He, he, he said to me, you know, I always think my cars are in better shape than they really are. Right. And I think that that's part of anybody who's, who's running a car thinks, yeah, I'm keeping it up. Right. And down deep, you know, you, you just really can't afford certain things again, just letting them slide. And, no, I, I think the car is now triple. You know, it's two times plus the purchase price. Right. Um, and uh, the bank actually... Uh, Give an unsolicited boost for Brio. Um, I've always thought that, oh yeah, right, okay, good, high, overpriced stuff. And uh, I don't remember what I did, but I got, I, I was going to buy some stuff. They were having a sale. I was going to buy some stuff, and I got a really good sales guy on the line, and he talked me into buying a whole bunch of products. And I thought, yeah, okay, right, okay, this is great. It's not going to make me happy, but I'll try it. What the hell? And uh, it changed the paint job. And the paint job is still an old paint job, and it's got some real issues with where the repairs done. But that the haze and everything else that really made it look lousy is all gone. And the car really, it looks like a 40-year-old car that's in very good condition right. rather than a 40-year-old car. You know, the um, tough thing is you, you know, you're trying to preserve some of, you know, I hate the word patina all the time, but you're trying to save some of that so that, you know, it's not a shiny brand new car. It still has the wear marks from you know, people using it or Ed using it for all these years. And, you know, something something really that you just can't get yeah, uh, when you paint a car and you, you erase all that. Tom was part of uh, the great adventure of trying to save the seats. The seats 
and the whole interior because the California sun was just cooked leather. It was just like cardboard. And I really thought, okay, but with love and care and tons of whatever the stuff is that you make leather softer, I'll make it better. And I even tried to uh, re-dye re the leather. And it looked good, but the reality was I sat on the seat and another rip opened up because yeah. the leather was just gone. There's certain things you, certain just, you just can't save in. And that's the end of it. Um, you know, the good thing is, you know, it's, and it's funny, Michael, like you said, did a really great job bringing this car back to to this to this level, and uh, you know, he stuck it, stuck it, stuck with it, and, and uh, you know, the market wasn't doing much. The cars were still kind of worth the same amount, and although it doesn't really matter to us who own these cars, really, what what the market's doing, but you know, you, it's still tough when you're writing checks and you're just writing checks, and you're you know, and, and the car is not in your in your house and you're still you know it's still you know this and you can't find that and sourcing parts sometimes you know when not every day does someone change a suspension on a on a 330 america for that matter and so there's really you know there's really not a huge knowledge base of uh, that 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 can just say this is how you fix this so there's a lot of shooting in the dark and, and uh, you got to stick it out actually it is an interesting story because with the suspension um, I bought new leaf springs and new uh, oils. I thought I bought a complete set. It turns out that I bought only the coils for the front and the leaf springs for the rear. I was missing the coils for the rear. And so I reused the coils for the rear. When they went to put in the leaf springs, which were marked as new old stock, had original oak tags, tags on them from uh, one of some Ferrari dealership, they were the wrong springs and they cracked. So after paying somebody to remove my springs and start to put these in, the springs cracked and we had to say, okay, now what do we do with the springs that I already have? And we had to have the one old guy in the spring shop who knew what he was doing make up a new leaf spring for the car. Uh, and in the end, that only added another three months indoors while we waited for the old guy. You know? Right. So it's all. But um, I go back to Peter, who Tom met today when we were working on the car. Uh, Peter and I wrote this on your website. Peter said this is all a journey. It yep. is. You know, it's you. You meet incredible people. Uh, you, you have a great sense of community with those people. Never would have done that. I never would have been any part of this stuff. And the car is, I'm sorry to say, it's the vehicle that, that right. made all this happen. And it's uh, it's been a very interesting three years. And I do have to say that uh, the guy who, uh, the dealer who was uh, trying to find me a car, I said, hey, listen, how much is this going to cost me every year? Because, okay, the upfront cost is one thing, but what's it going to cost me every year? And he said, well, you got to do a sinking fund of that part. There's really not a huge knowledge base of uh, that, that that can just say this is how you fix this. So there's a lot of shooting in the dark, and, and uh, you got to stick it out. Actually, it's an interesting story because with this suspension, um, I bought new leaf springs and new coils. Uh, I thought I bought a complete set. It turns out that I bought only the coils for the front and the leaf springs for the rear. I was missing the coils for the rear. And so I reused the coils for the rear. 
when they went to put in the leaf springs, which were marked as new old stock, had original oak tags tags on them from uh, one of the Ferrari dealership, they were the wrong springs, and they cracked. So after paying somebody to remove my springs and start to put these in, the springs cracked, and we had to say, okay, now what do we do with the springs that I already have? And we had to have the one old guy in the spring shop who knew what he was doing make up a new leaf spring for the car. Um, and in the end, that only added another three months indoors while we waited for the old guy. You know? Right. So uh, it, it's all... But, um, I go back to Peter and Tom met today when we were working on the car. Uh, Peter, and I wrote this on your website, Peter said this is all a journey. It yeah. is. You know, it's, you, you meet incredible people. Uh, you, you have a great sense of community with those people. Never would have done that. I never would have been any part of this stuff. And the car is, uh, I'm sorry to say, it's the vehicle that, that right. made all this happen. Right. And it's uh, it's been a very interesting three years. And I do have to say that uh, the guy who, uh, the dealer who was uh, trying to find me a car, I said, hey, listen, how much is this going to cost me every year? Because, okay, the upfront cost is one thing, but what's it going to cost me every year? And he said, well, you got to do a sinking fund of about $5,000 a year. Some years it'll cost you less, some years right, it'll cost you bank more. It because you'll spend $10,000 next year if you don't yeah, spend right. this year. But, but the reality is, he was wrong. Right. Now, I've never even come close to only $5,000 a year. <laughs> and, you know, I'm hoping that maybe this year we, we can do that. Right. Um, you, just, you just find it's like a house. That we own a house, you just say, I really want to do this. And it may not be cost effective, it's just because you want to do it. Right. So, um, well, it's a great car, and uh, we're looking forward to, to seeing how Michael owns it from, from, from we know, for 30 more years. Exactly, and, and uh, you know, it's, it's just great. And uh, so, it's a, uh, so that's the story of, of Michael's 330 America, and uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll have more stories of other people's cars, but uh, thanks for listening.